morning. I want to mention just a couple of things. Um, one, if you're a guest with us, I know we mentioned this before the service starts, but if you're a guest with us, we have a gift for you uh, at the Welcome Center after the service. We'd love for you to be a part of that. And then also, to go with that, if you find yourself new to faith or new to church and you have questions, uh, today, following the service, we have a Next Steps class. So if you've never taken it and you want to, uh, you can just attend. It's in the room right off the gym, room 101. Uh, so it's through two sets of, well, actually, it's like three sets of double doors that way. Um, but we'd love for you to join me for that class following the service today. If you're like, well, I didn't sign up. You can come anyway. Uh, if we need to order more pizza, we will. But you are invited to be part of that class if you've never been then, so we hope you'll take advantage of that. So I've been asking myself this question this week, and this is the question. Do you ever find yourself um, tempted to live in a way that's expedient for the moment, right? Like it'll be beneficial in the moment, but it's probably counter at some level to how you want to live fully. All right, so I'll give an example that might be helpful. So it's been several weeks ago now. Uh, my kids and I went to the adoption of, of my nephew, their cousin, and it was in Muncie, Indiana. And so on the way home, you know, it's kind of at that point where you've been in the car for too long and you're like, I got to stand up. We needed gas. I wanted a snack. I knew they would always want a snack. And I'd heard about this place called Crumble Cookie. had never stopped at one, but I knew where there was one in Kalamazoo and we were going to be going right through there. So I said, do you guys want a cookie? Like, yeah. All right. So let's stop. So we get gas, we go to the cookie place, we walk in. I look over and I see, like, and I knew they had like warm, fresh cookies. And so I see they have chocolate chip cookies that are warm, which is like literally probably if it wasn't for that, it might be anyway, um, because of those things I have to exercise, but, but like love warm chocolate chip cookies. And so I, I see it and I'm like, Oh, I think that's what I'm going to have to get. So I order one kids order a cookie. We've got one to take home for Katie and, 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 um, I notice on the wall, it says 140 calories. And so I get this cookie and I'm going, wait, this cookie, it's big and it's warm and it's buttery and it's soft. So good. I mean, it's like leaving chocolate over my hands, 140 calories. I'm like, oh, I should order another one. We've already left now though. So next time I'm ordering two. Um, and, and I'm like so excited about this. I get home, I'm telling Katie about it. I'm like, 140 calories. Like, that seems insane. It's like Google the cookie. Sure enough, it says 140 calories. And so I click on the chocolate chip cookie picture to look closer at it. And then I find out that's each cookie has four servings. It's deceptive practices is what that is. So it's not 140 calories, it's 520 calories, or 560 calories, whatever it is, right? 560 calories, and I'm going, oh, that's a little different. Like, two of those would be like half your meals for the day. Uh, One's probably plenty. Um, But have you noticed how, not just in that, but in lots of areas of life, we're kind of like, I can keep telling myself it's only 140 calories, though, because I'll probably get another one. Um, but, but you can tell yourself what you want, or if you're in business, maybe you're the person who will write in a way that, the, that you have to click on the link to find out the full truth. Uh, we have, by the way, we have some used car salesmen here who are great guys, like, and, and I don't believe they do that, but like, have you noticed like, that's why there's the, the thing like car salesmen or other kind of salesmen, they, they do that. Not always, right? That's the joke. Not Mitch. Um, other people, not him. Like, I like Mitch. I bought a few cars from Mitch, so... Um, I would encourage, reach out to him or John or others, you know, so, (laughs) but have you noticed how like businesses will be a little bit deceptive in their practices, right? They'll give you part of the truth, 
but not the whole, you have to like dig to find out the whole story. And so I was thinking about how that's a kind of a funny example, like a cookie, because they want you to buy more cookies. Because if it's only 140 calories, you can eat two. Until you find out it's not 140 calories, I would probably eat like three or four if we're honest. So um, that would have not been good for me or anyone else probably, right? Or put another way, businesses will use a singular phrase. They'll say, it's not personal, it's business. Or it's not business, or it is business, it's not personal, right? However you want to use that, right? That line has been made famous by every monster movie that has ever existed. It's not personal, it's business. And so what about for us, right? Today, we're talking about a church, that one of the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, church that was in Thyatira. And so maybe this is helpful to think of it this way. We would say to that church, it's business, not spiritual. Right? Business... Spiritual, no overlap, will be the argument to the church in Thyatira. And so we've been talking about these seven letters, seven churches, and the information's in the foyer. If you want to like study more, we, we print out every week about the particular church and letter that we're talking about that day, but also previous. So if you, that's out in the, in the welcome area if you want to grab that as well. But, but we've been talking about this book of Revelation that's kind of like weird and people don't know what to do with it. And so we kind of want everyone to know this, that the early church understood this letter. It was a circular letter, which was written to seven churches in Asia, and it wouldn't pass from church to church to church, and they understood it because it was written to them. And so it was written to them in such a way that they kind of grasped it, and and maybe for us it might feel super confusing, Um, and there's all kinds of imagery used in it that references Old Testament or images from the cities in which it's being written to, and so if you don't know those things, it's kind of weird, right? We talked last week about how there's this this white stone, and you're like, a white stone? What's the white stone? And they're like, well, actually, in, the, in, the, in that particular city, um, there was a white stone that you got as like a lucky charm, and you would write a word on it and not tell people. It's like, oh, it says, I'll tell you the, your name on the stone. It's like making a reference to the city. And so what's the whole point of the book of Revelation? It's this. It's good news. It's called the good news of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. And here's the point. God is redeeming all things. Point of the book, God knows what you are going through, and that God is faithful. All right, that, that's the whole thing right there. God's going to redeem and restore, make all things new. God is faithful, and God is present and knowing what you're going through. And so this whole book, this whole letter was written, each of the seven letters, the seven churches, is written to a particular angel or kind of spirit of a church. And so we've been trying to help you understand this way, right? Um, we have our own collective spirit, right? It's the combination of our time of like worship through song and teaching and like even coffee and donuts and seating and all of us together, architecture and people and conversations and what we bring to this, how we come in and how we, you know, like you go to places, um, we've all been to great places, right? Like if you go to a, a Notre Dame football game where God is present, um, it's true. There's touchdown Jesus behind the end zone. Um, so there's a, a spirit of a place, right? Even we go to sporting events, games, whatever. Like there's a spirit of that place as well. It's by the collective group coming together. And we think each church, every church, every local church, what John's saying is this, there's an angel of the church. It's not like some floating thing, but we create the angel of a place, like the, the, how it feels when you show up. And so the question that you and I have to ask is this, what kind of angel are we creating? 
kind of spirit defines this local church. And so as we read about these churches, we have to think about this. What does it look like for our particular church in time and space in these moments? How are we living in a way that's faithful to God or not faithful to God? And all right, so we're talking about this particular church, so the church in Thyatira. And so we'll just talk about what is Thyatira, where is Thyatira, what is Thyatira, right? It was a city in Asia. And some of the greatest roads of the ancient world, and I would think, how would I try to, to describe it to you? It was a military center, right? It was a sentinel town. Um, it wasn't particularly religious, but they had temples to Apollos and Artemis and other Greek gods. But it was an incredibly important trade center. I mean, like commercial, like selling of stuff. Nearly half of the ancient world's trade came through Thyatira. In fact, it was a center for wool. There was lots of wool that was, was like, I don't know, every process there, right? That's probably not the right word, but we're going to say processed wool. Um, but it was also the place where there were only two places in the ancient world where purple dye was made from a matter root, and this was one of the two places, and it was incredibly expensive. And so purple dye came from here, and it was mixed in with the wool. They did all kinds of smelting work with copper and bronze, right? They created metal stuff. They created lots of weapons. It was a place where that was, was happening, and it was a place probably known as much as anything for the number of trade guilds that it had. And what I mean by trade guilds, I mean like unions, like we have electricians and plumbers and pipe fitters, all those kind of things. They had tons of trade guilds. So you'd be a part of the, the blacksmiths, right? Or whatever the trade would be in the ancient world. And so these trades were very prevalent there. And so as a part of the trade guilds, they would have all these kind of festivities and festivals, right? I remember as a kid, I don't know how we ended up going. We went to the plumbers and steam fitters. My, my dad was not a tradesman, but we went to this event they had, like this party they had every summer. I don't know how we ended up there, but right, same kind of thing. Keep that in mind, that people would show up for these kinds of things. As the people were known as a people committed to their trade or to their work. And so here, that's the background of the city of Thyatira, as John's recording the words of Jesus being shared to the church in Thyatira. And here's what we find in the scriptures, beginning with verse 18 in chapter 2 of Revelation. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, never good, by the way, when that word shows up. I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I'll cast her on a bed of suffering and I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I'll strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. 
that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I'll also give that one the morning star. Over his ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the format of this letter is much like all the other letters, right? It begins with like this celebration, hey, great job, you're doing some really cool stuff. And then it's like, right, it's how, how we probably talk to if you have employees or people who report to you at work. You start with, like, the compliment. Hey, you're doing this great. However, we need to talk about this. Uh, and then here's, we send them on the way, like, hey, here's some good news. If you do this, like, here's the end result. Um, but it begins with one something I think is really important. You notice how it begins with this idea. Um, it says about the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. And then later on it talks about iron scepter. Remember the city of Thyatira. What is it known for? Smelting, right? Creating metal things. It's to paint pictures that they would know from everyday life. So it's painting a picture, hey, like, let, here, let me paint a picture that you'll understand from your daily life. I know the one who, who can do above and beyond all those who are part of your trade guilds. I know the one whose love is greater than you can ever comprehend. And then he goes on to say this, I know your deeds. Right, this is the compliment. I know your deeds, your love and faith your service and perseverance, and that you are doing more than you did at first. Right? This is the compliment. This is pretty cool, right? Like, hey, I know what you're going through. I know what you have done. I know what you have overcome. In fact, I know you're doing more than you did at first. Right? I want to talk about that for just a brief second. The cool part is God knows when we've grown and we're doing more than we used to. The flip side is, like, right, it does require us to do some things differently, and sometimes more of what we're do- we've done before or something better or different. But other times, it's not just what we do, but it's who are we becoming. I know you're doing more than you did before, but you're also doing other stuff you should not be doing. Like when you come to know me, all of life should be transformed. The whole of life should be changed. Right? I, I want to compliment just... Just do something more than you've done before in your faith? Great. But, but are we transformed in the life that we're living? This is the question the church in Thyatira is having to wrestle with. And so then you see these, it goes on, right, that they made all the weapons and melted stuff, and, right? And then um, he used these weird, this weird phrase, right? It said, uh, that Jezebel. And you're like, yeah, who's that Jezebel? Well, if you read your, your Bible in the Old Testament in 1 Kings, uh, chapter 16 to 22, there's a woman named Jezebel. And she's the king's wife. She's the queen. And Jezebel led the people into to worshiping false gods, like other gods. And so that was what she did. In fact, she said she was going to kill Elijah, and he ran away. It's a whole long story. You can go read it. But, but what we find in that story is, I mean, eventually she's thrown out a window, and she's trampled by horses and eaten by dogs. I know, weird story. But Jezebel would lead the people astray. She would encourage them not necessarily to dismiss who God was, but to worship other gods as well. We can be spiritual in two ways, would be her argument she would be making. And so who's this new Jezebel, this false prophet that they're talking about? Well, to be a part of the trade guilds, um, you would have to be a part of what they did, their pagan practices. So these trade guilds would gather together and they would pour out a cup and say it's to the god of whatever their trade would be, or to the goddess. And so you'd have to participate in what would be an act of worship. Intentional worship to one of these pagan gods. 
And Jesus says over and over again that, right, that there's only one God, and it's his Father, and if you come to know him, then you come to know the Father, and so you're called to worship the one only God, not a bunch of gods and goddesses. So the temptation for the Christians, right, in Thyatira was to go, okay, um, can I be a part of my trade guild, my work, my profession, my income that provides for my family, or do I have to say yes to that and no to faith, or can I do both? And so they kind of bought in this idea, right, um, well, I'll just do both. It's not spiritual, it's just business. The problem in those trade guilds, when they would gather together and they'd have these things, these kind of moments for the gods, these cultic practices, they would drink and get drunk and sexual morality would kind of run rampant and be like, what's well, okay? Because that's what we did at the trade guild. It's not our faith. This idea I can live totally separate than how I work. And so, um, right, the trade guilds, though, you, you couldn't really make money if you weren't a part of a trade guild. You couldn't participate in your work and your profession if you weren't a part of a trade guild. So how do I do my job, provide for my family? How do I do that and still stay faithful to God? That's the question they're wrestling with. It's the question you and I are wrestling with all the time. How are we faithful to God's kingdom in the midst of all the other kingdoms of the world? Right, uh, a friend of mine, Vince, used to run a company in Chicago, and, and he would always talk about how he had to hire union workers all the time. He couldn't just use regular guys. Because if he didn't hire union workers, he could never get the contracts because the unions in Chicago are so strong that you couldn't get any work otherwise. So he had to use the union. In other words, in Thyatira, you had to be a part of the trade guild. And we go, well, you know, they, they could have just chose Jesus. Maybe. But if we're honest, how often do we tend to compromise? I love this quote from Scott Daniels. He says it this way. Rather... When I explore my deepest levels of conviction, I fear that although I give lip service to my Christian faith as primary, there are other values that are deeper priorities. I find too often that I seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness as long as it doesn't cost me something really important. I certainly don't think I'm alone in that struggle. What are the things that we prioritize? Right? I, I, so I wrote a list, and I'm, gonna not, I'm not passing judgment because I'm going to talk about myself in a second. Right? But here's the list. Right? Do we, do we put our kids above even our faith? Do we put our families above faith? Do they become idols for us? Do we do it with our jobs or sports or, or politics or whatever? Do we put stuff, and it becomes, has such a high priority in our life that it supersedes the value that Jesus has? I'll put Christ first as long as it doesn't cost me one of these things. Right, so um, I'm asking the question. Here's why. Uh, this last week for me on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I went to a, a conference where a guy named James K.A. Smith, he's a professor at Calvin. Uh, he was teaching. He's, he's a, a philosopher, and, and he's written a couple books that are really good. One that we could probably all read is called You Are What You Love. You are what you love. I love that phrase because I think it's true, right? You are what you love. So we can go, oh, I don't love that. But if you, it's what where all your money goes and your time goes, you, you kind of love it. It's what you love. And you go, well, I don't really love it. I, really? All your time and your money and your energy goes to it. That's kind of what love looks like. So you are what you love. And so it's the challenge over and over again. What, what's this look like? And so the question I had to ask myself this week as we're kind of sitting through this conference, going, 
Do I take that seriously? Do I take it seriously? And then I went from, from that conference, I, I um, went down and a friend of mine drove me to the airport on Wednesday morning and I, I flew to Greenville, South Carolina and spent uh, three days with a mentor of mine and um, like he's kind of a spiritual leadership coach and so we spent three days just, I wrote a lot in a journal, I talked a lot, I asked, he asked a lot of questions, we went back and forth for, for days and um, I mean, cool part was I was exhausted because I got up at 3.50 in the morning to go to the airport and I was so tired and got there, and, and then I found out he had a weighted blanket I could use. Oh, if you've never experienced a weighted blanket, you are missing out. I'm telling you, sleep is so much better. My wife wanted one years ago, and I thought, that's a dumb idea. No one needs a weighted blanket. I don't need more whatever. And then she bought it, and she hated it, and I absolutely love that thing. She complains because it like pulls all the blankets off the bed on my side, so I'm great. I don't understand why she's complaining. But anyway, he gave me a weighted blanket and a fan. It was a good nap. I took a really good nap that afternoon. But, but in that conversation, we're wrestling with these kind of questions of ambition and faithfulness. Like, what's it look like to, be, to live out fidelity to God? What's it look like to wrestle with temptations? What's it look like to be honest with where you are, to, be, to self-reflect in a way that you're living faithfully to God in the midst of a world that doesn't always want to live faithfully? And so that's why that quote before I just read from Scott Daniels, right? Like, I, I hate to say that sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we can say that seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness is the most important thing until we reflect on our time and our energy and our money. And if we're honest, just like the question that James K.A. Smith asked, what you love? And we go, huh, if you are what you love, what do I love? And this is what the church has been wrestling with, and it's why this question, right? It's not personal, it's business, or whatever we've said today. It's not spiritual, it's just business. Right? Because in that kind of worldview, we can, we can sacrifice our ethics and our morals, and we can live and work how we want because it's my job, and I can do this here, but it doesn't impact who I really am. It's why I was probably so shocked this week, right? Um, like big kind of basketball fan and um, really like watching the, watched some of the championship this last week. And if you didn't know, the Boston Celtics coach got suspended for a whole year for, for some infidelity and some other stuff. And you're like, huh, I was so shocked. Not that, that, not that an NBA coach was unfaithful. That was not that shocking to me. But I was so shocked that a team would suspend him. That really was shocking to me. Because normally it's like, we just shove this under the rug. You're doing a really good job coaching, so you're good. I was so shocked because that, that's crazy that I was so shocked, right? I mean, if you'd heard about the story, you might be shocked too. Why are we shocked? Because we live in a world that says it's not spiritual, it's not personal, it's business. And for business, he's good. We want him to keep coaching. But it's not just that, and that's an easy one to look at. But what about our own lives? Are you and I willing to live faithfully if it costs us something? In terms of our profession, there's why there are certain professions and jobs we say we probably shouldn't have as followers of Jesus. I right, love well, this quote from William Barclay. He says, the early church father, Tertullian, challenged Christians by saying there are worse things than not making money when he was asked about those who made their living by making the products used for idolatry. What the church in Thyatira was wrestling with, if we don't repent from certain things, 
Right? Then we're just living into the kingdoms of this world and not the kingdom of God. And so are we living faithfully, right? And then it's why the scripture says that we just read for this letter, right? It's Jesus who searches hearts and minds, right? So I want to be careful how much we pass judgment on other people and trust that Jesus who searches hearts and minds, but we are accountable to him. I mean, maybe you've invited some people into your life to be accountable to you. I hope you're in part of a small group or you're a part of a life group in some way that does that or you're a part of like, accountability with someone else who speaks into your life and asks you hard questions, right? I... I um, I was talking to a mentor of mine this week, and he was talking about some, some guys he's working with who make a lot of money, like between a half million million dollars a year. To us, you're like, that's a lot. And so he's begun asking this question, not, not how much can you make, but what's appropriate to keep? Like, how much is too much? What's, what's your cap? I'm like, why? You know, and he's like, it's probably a different question you should begin asking yourself. Like, you can keep making more, but you can give away. You don't have to have more and more. And so shifting the question, right, well, that's, that's business. It's not spiritual. And he's like, eh, you, you know, like, no, this is what, what John's trying to say to the church in Thyatira. We don't get to separate. We don't get to separate our faith, right? We can't say, like, I'm going to live out this kind of Gnostic way of life where I can do what I want. Um, or, or another thing that would happen in that culture, like, we, we would separate. I'll just try to explain it this way. It talks about Satan's so-called deep secrets. And so this kind of thought in the early church in Thyatira specifically that we can live however we want to live. And so for us to know the deepness of God's truth, I have to know how evil you can be. I have to know the depth of depravity I can get to. So if I've never experienced like, as much debauchery as I can, then I can't live faithfully to God because I don't know how bad it can be. I'm like, well, no. You don't have to know how bad you can be to then know how good God can help you become. Like, that's a bad idea. Or said another way, right, we, we would buy into the, this, this Platonist, like Plato, the, the philosopher, right, he, he, he believed that like there was spirit and there was matter and they were separate. And so we could live in the spiritual realm. We call this Gnosticism in the church. Um, and, and we could live, we could be spiritual. And then my body could do whatever my body wants to do because my body and spirit are separate. So I can live how I want to live. It's why we can justify all kinds of behaviors because it's not about my heart. And so in the early church, this was a problem. This was a significant problem. Honestly, it's a significant problem for us, too, but we act like it was just them because we don't eat meat, sacrifice to idols or make golden images. We don't do that stuff. We just do other stuff. And so, so the challenge that you share was to go, no, like we don't believe that God calls us to be spirit and body. We're integrated people who are whole. And this is the Jewish understanding that the person is both body and spirit, mind and soul. They're all interconnected. You cannot separate them out. And so our faith, we can't say, oh, it's just personal, not business. Right? We can't say it's spiritual and not business. We have to say it's all connected. And so the question you and I are left to wrestle with is how are we living and he promises to give us this, this morning story, or Jesus himself, the resurrected Christ himself. I will give you new life. So here are the good things about the church in Thyatira. Um, God knew their deeds and their love and their faith. He knew about their service to others and one another and their perseverance in the midst of difficult days. He knew that they had grown from where they used to be, right? I know that you're doing things you didn't do before. That's great. But then, right, as the way the letter goes, the good, now you have the bad. The real challenge to the church in Thyatira was not coming from outside the church, but from inside the church. Like, hey, you can be both these things. You can, you can be so focused on your work and participate in these 
pagan practices, these trade guilds, these kind of celebrations where you pour out things to the God and you worship, but then you can go, I don't really mean it. I just mean to really worship God. What he says is this, if the church continues to go in that direction, it will be destroyed. You can only go wayward for so long before you are just no longer God's people. He says, hey, did you forget that the church, the church is called to be the bride of Christ and you're living unfaithfully. You are living out infidelity to Jesus. You're called to be faithful and you're not modeling that out. So what's it look like, right? He says, don't compromise no matter the temptation. Um, I, I want to I mention here, I think it's important to differentiate between living peaceably in the world around us and acts of worship. Sometimes we struggle with that differentiation in the world in which we live even today. Uh, it's one thing to live peaceably, like all throughout, like Paul writes about this, Peter writes about this, Jesus even talks about this, give to Caesar what Caesar's, and, and live peaceably in the world in which we live and recognize the difference between living peaceably and engaging in unethical or immoral practices. Governments are going to do what governments can do, but God's people are called to live as God's people. That's the whole point to the church in Thyatira and really all throughout the book of Revelation. And so what, how do we do that? Well, we repent. We say, God, I don't want to continue to live in the direction I've been living. I want to live in a radically new way. Right? And then it's this call, like we live faithfully over the long haul. How many of us have ever met, or maybe we've been, if we're honest, that person, they come to know Jesus in some way, and they're like so excited. I mean, really excited. And they're telling you all about, hey, did you know Jesus loves you so much that he died for you? And you can know him too, and God loves you so much, and I'm going to live for Jesus. And then like, run into him later and like, yeah, I, I kind of gave up on that. Right? Like we can burn so brightly in an instant, but we don't live a life of faith. It's why Eugene Peterson calls us to this, what he describes as this way, a long obedience in the same direction. Right? We want you to burn brightly. We want you to burn out. It's learning to daily live with a rhythm of knowing Jesus day in and day out in good times and bad, in ordinary time, and seeing that God is faithful in the midst of the struggle as much as God is faithful in the midst of everything else, in our highs, in our lows. And so it's recognized the church is called, that's a phrase we often use, right? Um, called to be resident aliens in the world in which live citizens of God's kingdom, trusting and believing that he's going to redeem and restore and make all things new. But until that day, we live as if this is not really our home. And so what do we do with all this? We make sure we, we try to recognize the Jezebels, right? The things that lead us astray in our worship. We ask the question, is our profess, profession leading people closer to Jesus or further away? Or are we intentional in our profession so that we recognize they have to integrate? Are we recognizing that the world can't be separated into sacred and secular? You can't just say, oh, that's sacred and oh, that's secular. No, no, we believe it's all his. So the whole world is sacred. Are we living as if that is true? Are we living as light to the world? Are we recognizing that as Christians, we don't get to have private faith? It's not ever just me and Jesus. It's always me and Jesus and us. And am I living as if that is true? Are we embracing this idea that we want to live and embrace the words from Jesus' prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Right? Are we recognizing it's never business, not spiritual? It's never business, not spiritual. 
All of life is an act of worship. We don't get to separate things out. Our faith is not a private matter. We live one whole life. Does God have all of it? We live one whole life. Does God have all of it? So years ago, I heard um, Tony Campolo give this kind of message, and he was talking about he had this student who was just super bright. He was a sociologist at Eastern University in Philadelphia, and he had this student who was super bright and just like off the charts brilliant, and he was going to go change the world, and he was so excited about this kid. And, and, and Tony hadn't seen him in years, and he ran into him in New York, and he was so excited, and he sees him, and he goes, hey, whatever his name was, I don't remember, um, what are you doing? What do you do with your life? He's like, I thought he might be running like a, a nonprofit or an orphanages or, or like whatever. And he said, so I went to med school. And he's like, cool, I'm thinking medical missionary or doing like something in the inner city. And he goes, what kind of doctor are you? And he goes, oh, I'm a plastic surgeon. And he goes, so then I'm like, oh, cool. So are you helping like kids with deformities or, or those kind of things? And he's like, no. What kind of plastic surgeon are you? He goes, well, the kind that pays really well. I give a lot to my church, and I give a lot to my community. So what kind of plastic surgeon are you? He goes, well, the one that kind of augments the looks of women. And Tony says, I stopped right there, and I looked at him, and I said, you're not living faithfully to what God called you to. Like, do you remember the dreams you had? Do you, do you remember you said you were going to change the world for Jesus? You, you were all in on that. What, you're not living faithfully to that. I mean, you just wanted to make more money. He said, well, I give a lot away. And he's like, that's not my point. Is that who God's called you to be? And he said, I was kind of disgusted, and I walked away. And I'm like, oh, that's, I mean, I, I, think, I want to be more gracious than that, but that's, I mean, that's not me. I didn't know the guy. So, you know, Tony's also from Philadelphia. It's a little different culture on the East Coast than it is in the Midwest, but... But that's true for us, right? Sometimes we'll choose professional expediency or money or faithfulness to God. And that's not saying, like, you can't be a plastic surgeon. Like, good for you. I mean, that's awesome. It's not saying you can't make lots of money. That's not the point. The point at the end of the day is what do you worship? What has your heart? You are what you love, right? And I was thinking, how do we, how do we as followers of Jesus, how do we live faithfully as followers of Jesus in a world that doesn't embrace Jesus? How do we do that? Well, we practice uniquely different things. Did you know, even right now, in this moment, you are practicing something that is radically different. It is radically unique. Do you know why we gather every single week and why you should too? Right. I'm you're like, well, I, you know, I can't make it every week. I get it. It's a couple of years, cool, but we should be more faithful, and not because I'm just a pastor. But because the practice of Sabbath and rest and renewal, and being a part of a worship with a corporate community of faith, it reorients our brain and our mind and our lives so that we repent from the way that the kingdoms of the world call us to live, and we turn towards the kingdom of God. The reason we encourage you, right, and I, I think one of the coolest things Jesus does is he goes, Sabbath was made for man. You're like, yeah, so I can have Sabbath whenever I want, which I believe, but we need to have Sabbath, like rest, renewal, worship, Right. For many of you, it's today. I know if you're Jewish, you're like, well, it's actually yesterday. You're right. In fact, I was going to call a guy who was a rabbi yesterday and realized, oh, I can't call him on Saturday. I've got to call him on Monday because <laughs> he wouldn't have answered. Um, but, but we're called to Sabbath rest, to turn off our phones and our TVs, to pick up books, to spend time with our family and our kids and our neighbors, people in our small group, 
right? We're called to invest in a life of worship, of rest and renewal. So how do I live faithfully in a world that is not faithful? How do I make sure that my faith is not privatized, where I'm not saying it's business, not spiritual? I practice the rhythms of the people of God. They're not new, by the way. Corporate worship, prayer, reading of scripture, silence, solitude, spiritual meditation, right? Mentoring one another, accountability, conversations around the scriptures, right? These are the practices of the people of God. So you ask, how do I live faithfully in a world that is unfaithful? By practicing those things. Because if I'm not careful, I'll be like the people of Thyatira who go, I want to be faithful to God. I'm going to do more, but I'm also going to do this too. And I'm not going to have anyone to speak into my life and say, I can't. And here is the cool thing about the way God works. He calls us to a community of faith. That by you showing up here, it changes you. It's one more way of saying, I don't want to be shaped by the rhythms of the world, but I want to be shaped by the rhythms of Christ. So what might happen if our church, if this church, what if, what if God's saying to us, what if, what if there's the angel of us and he's saying, hey, to the people in Mesquite, to the people of Connection Point, here's what I would say to you today. Will you just continue to live faithfully and practice the rhythms of God's people that are ancient and not really new? And if you'll do that, what you might find is this morning star, this my son that I'll give you, this Jesus, this resurrection life, that you can go from life to life and you can have it to its full. It is yours. Even when it doesn't feel like it. Maybe especially when it doesn't feel like it. And that for us is the good news that the one who has called you is faithful and he will do it. And Jesus invites you and I to reorient our lives around his son. And when we do that, what we find is this, the message of revelation that God is faithful, that God is present, that God is near, that becomes more and more true in our lives. Even if we don't see it around us, we begin to know it in us. Father, will you help us this morning as we prepare to become people who leave this space and this place, we ask that you might help us to be people who look and sound and act more like your son. As we think about this letter to this particular church at a particular time in history, that we might be a people who allow our whole lives to be radically transformed by the goodness of who you are. And so, Father, this morning, there's an area of our life in which we're saying, well, God, like, you know, you really can't have my whole life. You can have most of my life. Maybe it's professionally. Maybe it's my hobbies or my money or whatever it is. Like, you go, well, God, if it's, if it's you are what you love, you know, I... <laughs> uh, so whatever it is for each of us today, may we be willing to surrender it to God and say, God, you can have my whole being. And I want to know the depth of your love and your grace and your mercy, and I want to live as your unique people. And I believe that not only does your scripture call us to repentance, but it offers us forgiveness and mercy and love in a way that we have never known, that we can be known by you and we can know you in ways greater than we ever thought possible. And so, Father, will you help us to become more and more a people of love? We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen.